London Stock Exchange Group is here to be your essential global markets infrastructure and data partner, where open isn't just a platform, but a philosophy, giving you the freedom to make your mark in the world. LSEG. Open makes more possible. Live from Southern California, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for a new episode of Kings of the Podcast. Buckle up, here we go! Episode 11, Kings of the Podcast. Dennis Bernstein, DB, sitting here alongside, uh, I'm John Hoven, and uh, DB, how you doing? This one goes to 11, John. <laughs> and then from what, Spinal Tap, this one yes. goes to 11. Doing great, man. Just a, another great episode. A uh, lot to unpack here. Uh, got a special guest uh, later in the uh, show, but uh, ready to rock with you, man. Let's do it. That's right. Our special guest today is going to be two-time Stanley Cup champion, once in uh, Los Angeles and once in Pittsburgh. We're talking about the piece, the missing piece. <laughs> Rob Scuderi is joining us all the way from the East Coast. It's going to be fabulous. Mayor went deep into his phone for that phone number to get Scott's. But uh, yeah, it's going to be uh, looking forward to a guy who was absolutely an integral part of their championship. Well, I think one of the things we're trying to do with our guest, DB, is sort of jump all around the hockey world. Talk right. to people that are current players, former players, people that are in and around the game. Just uh, different people that we talk to, and really more than anything, people that we just enjoy speaking with about the game of hockey. Let's just get right into it, though. Um, sure. There's a lot to get to uh, relative to the Kings. They're beginning a, a road trip. You're beginning a road trip of your own. You're headed out to Sweden pretty soon. We'll talk about that in the uh, later today, probably in the third period. But uh, let's start with Tyler Toffoli's comments. Um, we sort of took him to task. I wasn't happy with his comments coming into training camp where he was asked about how ready he was for his unrestricted free agency year. Uh, and uh, he basically, you know, what did he do differently? And he said Pilates, which just, I didn't like the answer. I didn't like what he was saying. And then he's back at it again this week with some comments that uh, you weren't too happy with either. Yeah, it's just, you know, he says whatever happens, happens. And of course he's in Toronto. So of course they're going to ask about the trade rumors. Uh, we actually mentioned last night when the uh, there was an LA Kings. Mark Osborne was in uh, Boston, mm-hmm. uh, scouting uh, the Bruins in Pittsburgh. So it's, I just had mentioned. Look, by the way, you're going to have to get used to hearing Tyler Foley's name attached to Boston. But in general, you go to you go to Toronto, you go to Vancouver, you go to any market. It's going to be exacerbated a little bit. And just to say, whatever happens, happens. To me, that's not good enough. No, it's it's like you're playing for millions of dollars here, and the way you're playing, you're losing millions of dollars. I'd prefer the guy to say, look, I got to get my game back on track. I understand why I was scratched. I have no problem with that. My game wasn't where it needs to be. It needs to go to a certainly a higher level. And, and he's just been so matter-of-fact about it. I get the the confidence part about it. He, he still believes he's the 30-goal scorer that we remember from a few seasons ago. But just the way the message has been delivered outwardly to the media and to the fans in general and to everyone, if you're scouting the guy, it's just it's too laissez-faire. It's like... Mm-hmm. I'm really pissed off. I really got to go get it. I really got to be more aggressive uh, in my game overall, and I got to finish better. And you don't hear that. You hear, well, you know, it's going to happen. You hear trade rumors. Whatever happens, happens. That's not good enough for me, John. That's not a guy I think I I want fighting for me on my team, to be frank. 
Well, we covered in a previous episode what I'd like to hear from him echoes sort of what you said there, you know, just talking about his own personal situation. There's another direction this thing can go, though, at the game 15 mark is that when people want to talk to him about his particular situation, go the Alec Martinez route. Hey, I don't want to talk about me. This isn't about me. This is about the L.A. Kings. Look what we're going through here over the first 15 games, you know, trying to get uh, assimilated to a new coach in a new situation. And, you know, I'm trying to become comfortable with my line mates and, you know, that sort of thing. And I'm working on system, new coach. Yeah, I'm working on developing chemistry with X player Y player, you know, talk about the team. That's the Alec Martinez way of doing it. Deflect off of yourself. But he needs to do one of those two things. Option C or D that he's using, talking about Pilates and whatever happens, happens. No, dude, not whatever happens, happens. There's $20 million plus there's going to be a swing from what he's going to get versus what he should be getting. That's a significant loss of income. Man, the way he's playing, he's a $2.53 million player right now. If he's going to deliver 15 goals for them, he's going to walk the free agency and be a a bottom six player, which his skill is not a bottom six guy. He's still, I think, a great finisher. Uh, We've kind of... You know, recanted why he, he isn't finishing. He's not getting to the dirty part of the uh, of the ice and not getting to the high danger parts of the uh, of the areas that he needs to shoot at. He's just not doing it. But I agree with you. It's like it's your approach, your mental approach to this this very crucial time in your career. It's maybe it's a personality issue. I'm not sure, but I agree with you. I think no, dude, this is not just whatever happens. It happens. So I'm wondering who's going to sit him down. Is it going to be Rob Blake? Is it going to be Todd McClellan? Is it going to be his agent? At some point, somebody needs to step in here and sort of guide the young man yeah. on what to say. Well, you know, Todd McClellan keeps referring back to his relationship during the world championship. So I think a different coach that would have scratched him, there may have been bigger repercussions, maybe a little bit more anger. But, you know, this is a coach who has all the trust of all of the entire room, of all 22 other guys. So you got to respect that. And I, I just think it was not necessarily a message to the room, but as a message specifically to that player. And now how are you going to respond, right? I'd like to see the player now get on a five-game goal-scoring streak, right? That would show me that... <laughs> DB, everybody would. <laughs> <laughs> that would show that the message... Breaking news yeah. here. <laughs> well, you know, not for nothing, uh, in, the game against, in the game against Chicago... Todd did compliment him and said that was one of his best games. Mm-hmm. That he did hustle, he did play hard, and you need that night in, night out. Because I agree with you, John. Not only is Rob Blake looking, but there's probably ten or twelve other teams looking, saying, "Okay, we're going to trade for this guy, and do we want to make an? Are we treating him for a rental, or are we extending him?" And I think that's it. He, he. I don't think he realizes how many eyes are on him, and just aware of what he's saying and how he's carrying himself and how he's performing. Well, speaking of sit-down meetings, uh, before we get to the Drew Doughty comments, yeah, Todd McClellan has recently admitted or come out and opened up about the fact that he sat down with Curtis McDermott and, and Matt Roy, more specifically, mm-hmm. and uh, talked to them about their game, which is good because Matt Roy's first couple of games of the season not were not good. good. Agreed. It looked like he was on his way down to Ontario. Somehow he survived that, so it must have been that sit-down meeting. So Todd is, is certainly open to uh, frank, direct you know, type of approaches. And uh, it, might, it might be that time, not only with, uh, with, with Tyler Toffoli, but uh, Drew Doughty had some interesting comments after, about his game the other night. You, would, you were the one uh, asking some of the questions. Tell, yeah. tell us about that. Well, no, it was just that, um, look, Drew's a perfectionist, mm-hmm. right? And one of our followers actually made a great point. He says, maybe Drew shouldn't be a perfectionist. Maybe he should pursue excellence, which I love that. That was a great take by one of our fans. Uh, it, it, he's still trying to adapt to his role here because it's a different role. Before he said that basically he was the right side defender and he was getting moving up the right boards um, to get you know to get the puck out of danger. Now he's a rover, so he's playing the middle of the ice. So even a Norris Trophy winner like Drew 
like is adapting, trying to adapt, and hasn't successfully fully adapted to Todd's McConnell's up. But he still wants to win Morris trophies. He still wants to compete. He mentioned he still mentions the playoffs, even though they're what five and nine at this point in time. So I just think it was a very very point to think that that he is not satisfied with this game. And John, I'll be honest with you, on a lot of nights, except for when they played Calgary, um, he hasn't been an influencer. Right, so I, to me, if I'm a Kings fan, the game-winning play against Chicago, I want to see that because when he picked up that puck, he was going to win the game. Right, mm-hmm. that was his mindset, and it hasn't been there all that year. Maybe it's a distraction. Maybe he does talk too much, and maybe it's the underperforming. Or because some nights you haven't seen him, or he's had poor nights. Now it's a function of the team in front of him and his his partner. He doesn't have a Rob Scuderi or somebody like that he can depend on. I think there's a trust issue there as well. When he plays with Martinez, of of course, there's more trust there. But with the younger players, maybe not. So I, I just think that he was totally honest, totally transparent, and I think that's what we expect from Drew. And it's just, it's just, it was a little surprising to see that someone that's not struggling, but is is having some difficulty adapting to a new system at 30 years old. And Todd said it, I mentioned it to Todd and he said, you know what? Change is hard. Mm -hmm. Change is difficult. And Drew has to adapt his game to a new style and to, you know, the competition in this league is, is brutal sometimes, right? It's speed, it's skill. Leon Dreisaitl at 6'3", coming down a 50 goal score. It's a very, very difficult league to defend in these days. I have all the confidence in the world that Drew is going to figure it out because scouts will tell you yeah. all the way back to when he was drafted that his hockey IQ is off the charts. I mean, you know, there are very few people walking planet Earth that have a hockey IQ like Drew Doughty. Confidence is part of the issue here as well. His confidence has eroded in part because of his partners like you were talking about. Yeah. But I just think that once you get that confidence back and get that confidence going, you're going to start to see a different Drew Doughty. And, you know, we're 15 games in. So let's give it another 30 days and then we'll evaluate. Yeah. And there's also a trust issue. Everybody in that room trusts the coach. Mm-hmm. They like him. They respect him. They think he's been great. It, it's no, and again, I'll, I'll reiterate this. Todd McClellan's not the reason they're five and nine, mm-hmm. right? Although there's been implications that people say he's not a fit there and all that nonsense. Like the full trust, they understand that they're still adapting to a pretty different system than what they've had. Mm-hmm. So it takes time and you got to have patience. I mean, how many times have we mentioned the word patience on this podcast in 11 times? Like a hundred, right? So you Minimum. still got to have even... <laughs> Even with Drew, you have to have patience with him as he adapts to the side. But I agree with you. Once he gets fully immersed into the um, in, into the new system and we're at game 30 or game 35, then we could talk about performance. Well, if you want to also talk about some other nonsense, DB, um, not only those people that were saying things about Todd McClellan and whether he's a fit for LA, which is nonsense. How about this nonsense about the comments with Drew Doughty and what he said about uh, earlier in the year playing the, playing the uh, Vancouver, Vancouver Canucks? Canucks yeah. it, it's just, to me... It's something being blown totally out of proportion. If you know the player and if you understand what he's saying, you know, context is important. It's not just the quote, it's context. And sometimes it's being there standing in front of the player. I understood what Drew was saying and it didn't strike me as a big deal. People want to make a big deal out of it. What's your your take on that? I just don't see it as an issue. Well, a couple of things. You mentioned context, John, right? So context is how many words of that quote did you extract and publish? Mm -hmm. 10, 20, 30, or the whole quote? And when you read the whole quote, it's not as bad. It's just that, and Drew made the point here in Toronto today on Tuesday, um, they're a young team, we're a veteran team, we shouldn't lose 8-2 to two to a, a young team. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. Now, here's the thing, John. That was said a month ago. Mm-hmm. They have played 8 or 9 games or 10 games since. Like, Why is it an issue today in Toronto? 
They're not facing the Canucks. They lost to the Canucks again. Why is this now an issue about what they what he said a month ago? Mm-hmm. Because that's the Canadian media. And Drew said, like, maybe I shouldn't talk anymore. Well, that's not going to happen, right? So he's going to continue to talk. But I, I just think that's a situation where we take one snippet of something that was said a month ago and you try to make it a story in Toronto. Like that that's that's about relationships. And that's why, you know, there might be some reporters in the league that Drew Doughty won't talk to mm-hmm. because of that. And you have to understand the big picture in relationships, John, because the reason we do so well is we understand relationships because things get confided to us that we never repeat and never say. Uh, we but use it for not, background information. But I will say, yeah. DB, it's not about being a homer, though. That doesn't mean, oh, no, that no. Doesn't mean always painting things you know, in a rosy way. I think that it's you can be honest about things, but you don't have to be someone who's trying to stir the pot unnecessarily. And I, I'm not saying that that particular reporter was, but just in general, there are people that would rather stir the pot rather than tell the whole story. And if you're covering the Maple Leafs Kings game tonight, what does Drew Daddy said after a Vancouver game a month ago have to do with the context of your story? What? What's the context? The storyline tonight is super easy. It's Drew Doughty versus Jake Muzzin. And Jake Muzzin had a, an interesting quote. One of the reporters in, uh, in, in the scrum, and I don't know who it was. I was just hearing the audio, basically asked uh, Jake, hey, do you think that Doughty's going to try to get under your skin? And Muzz sort of paused and then laughed and said, Drew Doughty cannot get under my skin. <laughs> and the reporter followed up and said, well, I'm going to go tell him that you said that. And the guy was like, I mean, excuse me, and Muzzin was like, yeah, fine, be go my ahead, guest. be my guest. <laughs> like, Drew Doughty, he knows all yeah, too well about on. Drew Doughty. Drew chirps everybody. I just can't see him chirping Muzzin and getting under Muzz's skin. <laughs> yeah. I just don't, I don't Jake see that doesn't happening. care. <laughs> Certainly doesn't care what Drew Doughty has to say, <laughs> exactly. right? All right, yeah. uh, 75 points. We put the over-under on the LA Kings earlier this year at 75 points. Um, they're sort of on track. I tweeted yep. something uh, just yesterday relative to the projections and yes. whatnot. And that comes down to about four, excuse me, two wins per every five games. They were perfect on track through 10. That win against Chicago, as we talked about in the last episode, helps. They need to get another one. Tonight's going to be a tough one to get. Probably the better one to get would be against Ottawa on paper, on paper. Well, Ottawa looked pretty good against the Madison Square Garden the other night against another team that's struggling, so... Okay, so if the Kings win one of the next two games, are they going to beat the Leafs in Toronto or are they going to beat Ottawa in Ottawa? They're going to be Ottawa. And Tavares is coming back tonight. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. But John, are you going to predict the Adrian Kempe hat trick in Montreal? Because that is the only team he scores against. If Adrian Kempe <laughs> gets a hat trick, DB, then we're going to have to get you a Kempe uh, jersey to hang on the wall here, signed, you know, or something. Maybe, maybe we'll get him a hat. Get get a Habs Kempe jersey. It'll be like a look to the future. You know, how how great would that be? That would be you show up to the Staples Center wearing a Montreal Kempe jersey. Although it couldn't be number nine. You can't wear nine in Montreal, no. so you would have to get a new number. <laughs> <laughs> probably can't even get 19 either. No. All right. We have Rob Scuderi coming up in the second period. So let's do some numerology DB. And I have some, uh, as always, I think I have some really fun notes to pass along here to you. Uh, number seven, which is what Rob Scuderi wore. We'll ask him why he wore that number. Obviously he wore four in Pittsburgh, but uh, he wore uh, primarily, he wore a couple numbers in Pittsburgh, but that was the big one. Um, number seven in Los Angeles has been worn by 21 players, not 22 as some of the databases out there have. And I'm going to, I'm going to tell you about that in a second Please. about why there's this one odd thing there so the first player to ever wear number seven in los angeles was a guy named terry gray wore it from 19 uh, in the in the opening season 67 68 here's the interesting thing that i found out though db he is the eighth player that was selected by the Kings. so i mean this guy's like right up there in the expansion draft i mean he's the eighth player of all time of course they picked terry sawchuk wayne rutledge um they picked uh, bob wall who was the captain eddie joyal real lemieux and then they picked terry gray two picks later was ted irvine which was uh, of course chris jericho's father former New York Ranger. But check this out, though. This guy, Terry Gray, the first one to ever wear number seven, he played 42 games for the Bruins in 61-62. 
That's quite a ways before expansion. Okay. <laughs> Eight years. <laughs> exactly. Eight seasons. Yeah. And then he, oh, but he did get a cup of coffee with the Canadians. He picked up four games in the 63, 64 season, but here's basically what it is. This is how difficult it was to get into the league back then DB. There were only, you know, the original six teams prior right. to expansion. So in the four seasons prior to him being selected by the Kings, he played in the American hockey league. He had 25 goals, 39 goals, 30 goals, and 25 goals. And this guy couldn't get a yep. sniff. Nope. In the national hockey league. Cause remember that's what was 120 players. Or something like that. So you have to be now it's seven hundred, John. A little just, bit different. Just a little bit. The, the numbers are really against you, but yeah, <laughs> the guy could certainly score goals in, with respect to uh, the level of uh, play in the AHL. Yeah. So he played one year. That's the sixty-seven, sixty-eight in Los Angeles. He wore number seven. Now the guy who's worn number seven more than any other games in Los Angeles would be Mike Murphy. He did it from nineteen seventy-four to nineteen eighty-three. Uh, I'm going to throw a couple randoms at you. In the 90s, guys like Jim Pack, uh, Dan Quinn, Kevin Brown, Steve McKenna, Eddie Olchek even wore uh, number wow. seven. Eddie O. Eddie O. Yeah, he did play in L.A. for one year, wore, <laughs> wore number seven. Uh, most recently, we've seen uh, Sakara, Derek Forbert, uh, Fantenberg. How are we pronouncing Sakara these days, by the way? Sekera. Sekera? Okay. Yeah, I'm going Sekera. You're going Sekera. Okay. Yeah. And Forbert, not Forbort, as I was. And <laughs> uh, Fantenberg, I think, is still Fantenberg, though. So we're good there. Yeah. The four big players, though, who wore number seven in Los Angeles, of course, Course. Your guy. Tom, Tomas your Sandstrom. Guy. Absolutely. Tomas Sandstrom. Yeah. The most underrated player. I could do a whole show on Sandstrom. The most underrated player in LA Kings history, in my opinion. Um, he wore it from 1990 to 1994. I'm going to give you a couple things here, DB. Actually born in Finland. People, especially Don Cherry, call him a Swede. <laughs> Actually born in Finland, but uh, grew up in Sweden. Okay. Um, there is a link to Bakersfield really? in our guest today because... Okay. Uh, Rob Scuderi, who's coming on later today, at the very end of his career, he played at, for the Ontario Reign. Right. He played at the in the outdoor game in Bakersfield, okay. and then only played like four more games in the AHL before right. he wrapped it up as a career. Tomas Sandstrom was at that game. He didn't play oh, in the really? game, but they had a Legends game Legends before, games, yeah. so they were in the same locker room. Tomas Sandstrom <laughs> and Rob Scuderi. Interesting. And they both <laughs> wore seven awesome. in L.A. So uh, just a couple more points on Sandstrom, of course, number seven in L.A. He was over a point per game <clears throat> in his, uh, excuse me, in his 245 games in L.A., uh, and he also had 25 points in 24 playoff games in the Kings' magical run in 1993. And in that 1991 uh, division-winning team, the yeah. only L.A. Kings team to ever win the division, he had 45 goals in 68 games played. Aren't you going to mention of the, the broken leg? Well, I, yeah. Come on. I always do whenever I you talk about Sandstrom, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, you had Craig Muni who broke his leg. He comes back in the next game, scores a goal. Who plays after breaking their leg and let alone scores a goal? And this is all in the playoffs, right, by the way. Exactly. Tomas Sandstrom, stud. No other word for it. Uh, here's some interesting stuff, though. Nelson Emerson, of course, who's now in Kings management, um, he wore the number in 2001. But a fascinating story or, or set of stories, when you dig into Nelson Emerson, he played 12 years in the NHL, DB, and he wore 11 different numbers. <laughs> How do you, that's yes. amazing. 11 different Wait, numbers. But he didn't play for 11 different teams, right? No, no. he didn't. But here's the he just, thing. Okay. He played three years in Los Angeles. And he wore a different number each year. Trying to change his luck, I, guess. I, I don't no, know. No, so here's the deal. Okay, he wore 17, 7, and 19. I had to get to the bottom of this. So, oh, no, because, um, yeah, you geek out on this Okay, stuff. so ahead. here we go. Um, 19 was always his favorite number. That's the number that he ended up with, his, his third season in Los Angeles right. and final year in the NHL. Uh, it's what he wore in college, but he could just never seem to get 19 as he was going to these different, uh, you know, stops. So um, 7 was his next favorite number because that's what the Blues gave him once he became 
became a regular NHL player. Um, all the other numbers that he ever had, they were just numbers that were assigned to him. He was never allowed to pick. He, he says he didn't mind number 11 in Chicago. Uh, 16 in Hartford was okay, but 19 was the number that he liked the best. So when he got to LA, seven wasn't available. So he went with 17. Then the next year, seven was available. So he was able to get it because that was his second favorite number. And then finally in his last year, as like a going away present, I guess, He's able to get 19. He's super happy. He gets his favorite number. So he sort of began with 19 and during his college days, and then he ends his career with 19. Well, I guess there goes the theory that uh, players are superstitious. And <laughs> well, he, 11 different numbers on, you know. Ele that's a, 11 that's numbers a great, in 12 years. It's a great nugget. It's crazy. Um, how about this one, though? Derek Armstrong, another famous number My seven. God, yeah. yeah. Army, wow. now check this out. Army wore number seven uh, from 2004 to 2009 here in Los Angeles. But did you know, little nugget, he actually wore 32 oh, when he wow. first came. He wore no. 32. Yes, he did. And here's the deal. That's the number that they basically gave him, which is interesting because it's also the number that Nelson Emerson had when he first broke into the NHL. He went from 32 to seven. So I don't know what the deal is. 32 to seven doesn't seem like a normal connection there. Right. You would think 32 to five, three plus two was five, but seven. I don't know. But no. uh, so he started at 32 and then Czechmonic was uh, yes, acquired. He, so Roman Czechmonic comes to Los 32. Angeles. He gets 32. Army is stoked because now he can get the number that he wanted, which was number seven. Uh, it was the number he wore all throughout his uh, minor midget days and things like that. Um, and here's another deal. Army also wore 10 different numbers in his NHL career. <laughs> so I don't know what the deal is between Nelson Emerson and Derek Armstrong, but they're trying to set the world's record for the most numbers worn. Right, we're going to have to dig on those two guys and say, why would you wear so many different numbers? Or do you not care? Or do you care? Well, I know, I know what Army would say. I didn't ask him, but he would just say, I don't care what number it is. I just want to play in the NHL. I want an NHL paycheck. Yeah, you, exactly. yeah, you can Give put me, any number on the me. The two-way deal. Give me the Put NHL letters money. on the back. You know? This is the last minute of play in the period. Put Russian numbers on it. Exactly. Whatever you need to do. I don't care. Just give me the other team's jersey. I'll wear anything you want. I'll wear sweats out there. I just want to be in the NHL. Uh, Nelson Emerson, of course, uh, just phenomenal addition to the LA Kings management and um, has been has been doing some good things there. He was part of the state of the franchise. We talked about that earlier. DB, let's put a wrap here on first period. Sure. Rob Scuderi is coming up in the second period, and um, there might be a surprise or, or, or two that you have is what you were sort of nudging me about. Well, well John, you know, uh, we wear a lot of different hats at Kings of the Podcast, um, and we've kind of granted you the hat of musical director. So, And you've made great selections, you know, with respect to uh, all the different things that you do. I mean, you're a rock guy. We get it. We understand it. But th there's a topical song at the end of this first period that we're going to play. And you're probably not going to hear it till we go live with it. But uh, given my trip to Sweden and everything else, it's just, uh, I think it's on point with respect to my trip. I look forward to it, DB. We'll be back in a few with the second period and Rob Scuderi.
Welcome back to the second period, of course. Kings of the podcast, Dennis Bernstein, John Hoven here, and bringing in our special guest for episode 11 here, Rob Scuderi, all the way from Long Island, I'm assuming. Uh, Scuds, how you doing? Very good. How are you guys doing? Good, good. You are in Long Island, I'm assuming? Yep, yep. Uh, in Garden City, New York, uh, not too far from where uh, where I grew up. And you know, my wife and I kind of decided to come back here when it was all when the career was all said and done, and so far, so good. <laughs> well, great. Well, we have a myriad of questions lined up for you, and um, just teeing it up right out from the top here, you're not going to remember some of the quotes I'm going to throw at you. It might feel like this is your life, but in, 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 20, <laughs> in 2013, okay. uh, coming out of the lockout, I remember a quote that you gave me, and I went back and looked it up, and you said, I learned that I'm a better stay-at-home mom than I thought I could be. That was during the lockout time period. I'm just curious now. It's been a couple years since uh, your playing days. Are, are you a good stay-at-home mom again? Uh, I, yeah, I, as soon as I was finished, I definitely got a got a taste of it again. And I would say that I was better than I thought at it, but at the same time, I'm not sure if it's a 100% fit. So <laughs> I, you know, I started to look around and, and uh, picked up a job. I do development with Nashville now. And it, it's been a nice balance. You know, I, it's, uh, it allows me to be a little bit flexible in schedule so I can have some weekends and time with the family, but at the same time, I get to, you know, get back into the game, and and uh, which is something I've I've enjoyed very much the last couple of months. Rob, do you do that locally, or do you have to go down to Nashville and work with the team down there? Uh, I mean, I'll go for development camp, um, of course, and then I'll be I was there for training camp, and there might be a few odds and ends like meetings uh, during uh, certain parts of this of the season of the year. But for the most part, those are the two biggest times. The rest of the time is spent seeing uh, drafted prospects that haven't signed pro contracts yet and trying to maybe ease their development into the pro game. Interesting. Uh, let's talk. Uh, let's go back to 2009 when you signed in L.A. So you're coming off a of Stanley Cup in Pittsburgh there, and, and I know at the time a lot of thought went into it, but have you reflected at all since the retirement just about did you make the right decision? Obviously, it worked out well winning a cup in Los Angeles, but – do you think about that decision-making process diff- any differently now than maybe that you did at the time? No, I, it's, I, I was never a big fan of looking back at the decision. You know, you make the decision with the information you have based on at the time. And uh, at the time, I thought Los Angeles was the right place. Uh, I heard that they were interested through through my agent in the free agency uh, you know, kind of period, I guess, that you get to talk to everyone. And I thought that it was, it seemed like a good fit. It just, I, I thought that they were trending in the right direction. You see some of their draft picks. and uh, You know, they had, at the time, they had two goalies. They had, you know, uh, Quick and Bernier. And, uh, of course, you never knew which, at the time, you never knew which one was really going to work out. But I figured there was a good chance they were probably going to have a good goaltending situation. If not one of them stuck out, at least, you know, maybe two of them. And then, yeah, Dowdy had some of the high-end talent up front. So, it was... It just seemed like their their arrow was pointing in the right direction, and I was happy to be a part of it. On the uh, on that upfront talent, Dustin Brown uh, once told me that you used to carpool with him. You lived right next door to him for a while, and he just said, "You know, we know each other really, really well." When you think back about your time with Dustin Brown, what what can you tell us? That was early in his career, or you know, at least he wasn't the Stanley Cup champion. You know, Dustin Brown, he was the captain, but. What can you tell us about that part of Brownie's career that you remember? You know, it, it was great. You know, you play against people, but you don't really ever get to know them. You know, they're just 
their name on a on a stat sheet, and you realize they have to be respected in that regard for you know for his play and for the way he does things. But when you really get to know someone, it, it brings a different perspective into view. And uh, I thought it was I think one of the nicest things about Los Angeles was that not only did we get to play together and we're close to the practice facility, but everybody was there. Everybody was right around the corner from each other. We could carpool the games. Uh, we got together a lot uh, away from the rink, and it just brought a different dynamic in. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I wouldn't say anything specific because that was for, you know, between Justin and I, but uh, it's just nice to get to know someone other than just being at the rink. And I, I thought Los Angeles fostered that environment really well. Another player out there on the blue line, of course, was Drew Doughty. We could do a whole show uh, on, on Doughty and his comments and just who he is as a player on and off the ice. But in 2013, uh, I was going back and just in doing some prep for the show. And in 2013, he gave me some, some interesting quotes. And he basically said that the two of you spoke the same language. He said, to be honest, me and Scuds, we talk the same language. We're, we're, we, it's the same uh, pretty much. Um, that that's bizarre to me because when I think of you and when I think of Drew Doughty, I think of two entirely different people. Um, would you agree with that? Did you guys speak the same language? And I guess other than, you know, give me the puck. Uh, what, what is the language that you guys speak? You know, I think it's just chemistry. I mean, I don't know. I don't know exactly if you can put it into words. Uh, I know that when I played in Pittsburgh, uh, you know, right just before I signed Los Angeles, I was playing with Hal Gill. And a lot of people thought, well, okay, you, you know, some people, you know, get better than others off the ice, but on the ice, it didn't seem like a match that would really work. You know, you guys both kind of do some of the same thing in different manners and you have different strengths and weaknesses, but you, you're kind of the same player. But sometimes you just can't explain chemistry. You know, it just, it just worked. And we're able to, you know, have a, a couple of good years and a couple of finals runs off of it. And I think, the same thing with Drew, just a, a different player. You know, we, we got along off the ice. He's, um, even though there's a, you know, a 10-year age gap, it was always easy to talk to Drew. And it, that, that, that part was, was never an issue. We always had good chemistry as far as, you know, being off the ice. And then on the ice, I think we just kind of saw the game the same way. Certainly went about it differently, and I'm not comparing myself to Drew in any way in that regard. <laughs> but, you know, just the way you see the game, the way you think it should be played, uh, was was a very similar view from the two of us, and I think that's why we had good chemistry. Now, you probably don't know this, but the 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 quote or the moment, the Rob Scuderi moment that I probably reference more than anything else on Twitter and just in, in, in life in general, we were in the locker room after a game in Anaheim one night. It had just been announced that day that the Kings were going to play the Ducks outdoors at Dodger Stadium, and uh, we're standing there talking to Dowdy, and, and Dowdy, we ask him about it, and he says, uh, against the Ducks, that'd be cool, but I don't understand how that would work. And without missing a beat from across the room or several stalls down, you blurt out, they're going to put the ice uh, on the field, do we? And of course, everybody starts laughing and Dowdy says, isn't it too hot? The ice would be crappy for sure. It'd be fun though, playing a, at a bigger crowd instead of 18,000 like we get in an, in an NHL arena. And it was just one of those moments where Drew, he loved the idea, but just couldn't quite fathom what it was that we were talking about and you had to help him out. Yeah, no, it's, uh, plus I think it's also getting mixed in there is just locker room stuff and, you know, guys giving each other the business every once in a while. It's, uh, but no, I know that that, that announcement came out and I, I didn't get to play in that game because I was, I was already gone, but, uh, you know, the announcement coming early, we all got to 
to mess around with it a little bit. Um, but no, I think, you know, that's, that's part of what makes the locker room fun and part of what um, just makes it enjoyable to be, to be in a locker room. So it, it was fun in that regard. And, you know, not ripping on Dewey or anything. Everyone gets it. You know, you guys may not see it all. But you can be the quietest, most innocent-looking person, and every once in a while someone's just going to turn and say, hey, what's your deal? You know, and all of a sudden it's going to be a 10-minute roast on you. So no one is immune <laughs> to the, that Dewey just happened to get it in the public eye. Hey, Rob, you said you now you're working in development with Nashville. Do you kind of marvel at the, the talent that is, you know, 17, 18-year-old kids that – it's stunning, I, th- I guess, for, since when you came in the league with respect to what they can do, how they can skate. Just your thoughts about when you entered the league and now what what you deal with and what you see with the younger talent in this league. Yeah, it, um, I I guess it's, it is surprising how good the kids are at such a young age, but I think that's just over the course of time of the, I guess, the elements of coaching being pushed down levels and levels. So instead of a kid getting maybe some professional-esque advice at 17 or 18 and having to absorb that and try to uh, use it and, and try to, you know, display it. It might take him a couple of years, and now mm-hmm. he's 20, 21, 22. Now the, the kids are getting that stuff at 15, 16. You know, that your high-end kids are getting that stuff at 15, 16 years old, maybe younger. And by the time they become pros at 18 to 20, some of these kids are extremely ready. And not just not just on ice stuff. They're prepared, you know, nutrition wise. I mean, I think some of the guys knew just as much, if not probably more, than I did by the time I was going out. You know, wow. because they've they've immersed themselves in it at a at a much younger age, and it becomes part of their life. Uh, so much so as maybe I did, just kind of learning it as you go. Specific to the Kings uh, of right now of this season, uh, one of my favorite quotes you ever gave me was. There's a fine line between desperation and panic. And this Kings team right now is going through this transition and you have some veteran players who still want to win, young kids who, that you're, like you're talking about that are trying to come into the league, trying to earn a spot, trying to win. Um, are you familiar at all with the Kings? Do you watch the Kings? Do you keep up with what's going on? And, and how much right now do you think is desperation versus panic? Yeah, it's, like I said, it's still early in the season. I mean, they're... It's hard to say teetering on that line because there, there still is a long way to go, and they haven't put themselves that far behind the eight ball. Um, but I, I do think there there is a line. I mean, there's there's some guys that you can see are desperate, and there you can see the way they play. They're trying to do maybe a little extra, and sometimes I never really minded that, especially from the top guys, because that's how much they care. They want to be the difference. They want to be the ones to turn it around, make things happen. And then I think panic is when you see them trying to do way too much. And it's, it's become so obvious that now they're, you know, hurting the group. You know, I, I never minded seeing, you know, Drew or Kopey or Brownie or Carter or so, or, you know, Quickie and, and some of these guys try to do just a little bit extra, maybe more than they should, because at a time we were struggling, to me it showed that they just wanted to do that little extra bit. Like maybe they could be the difference. And they know that they're supposed to be the leaders and that they should lead by example, and that they wanted to make that little extra bit happen for the team. And none of those guys, I think, ever got to the panic mode, at least in my time there. I, I, I can't say I've watched enough of the Kings to make that you know, assumption or evaluation, but I think that those, those guys have been in some tough situations long enough and have been through 
a lot of, you know, postseason battles and long seasons to, to, to know the difference. And I'm sure that they'll, they'll point the uh, younger players in the right direction. You have this unique perspective because during your two tenures in L.A., they, they were two entirely different situations. One, you signed here as an unrestricted free agent, and then in the other one, you came at the trade deadline uh, back to Los Angeles. And, and just a question about that. We were told at the time when the Kings had acquired you that it was really more to be, I'm talking about in the second time when via the trade, it was more to be yeah. like a seventh defenseman, provide some leadership in the locker room, that sort of stuff. And then uh, game one, it, it just seems like Daryl put you right in there on the top pair and you're back to playing 20-plus minutes a night. I'm curious, what were you told or what were your expectations coming back that second time? Was it to be that seventh defenseman like Lombardi was talking about? Or was it more of what Sutter was talking about, which was to get you back on the top pairing in like the good old days? Yeah, you know what? I guess I was, I guess I, I was on a scrappy. You know, you, uh, I'd been traded twice, I guess, at that point, And you're kind of thinking, you know what? I was happy to go to Los Angeles, a place that had had a, a very good pass. Uh, with the with my teammates, the fans, the overall feel there, and I thought, you know what, if this is if this is kind of it for me, I'd be happy to do that. You know, as a competitor, you can't turn it off. You always want to play, and that that's no different with me than it is with most guys that play in the National Hockey League. But at the same point, you're, you're kind of on the scrap heap, and you're going, you know what, if this is how I got to go out, I go out in Los Angeles and maybe be a seventh guy, play, you know, every four or five games, and and be a good voice for the younger guys, I'd be happy to do it for a franchise that treated me so well. And, you know, so as it, it turned out that maybe, you know, things were a little bleaker on the blue line or he wanted to give me a better look and see what happened. And I, I'd clearly done well enough in the first five or six games that he kept it going. And I think maybe I, maybe I played, I, I think maybe one game I didn't play in the last 20 or 25. And I played in the playoffs, and I, I, like I said, I, I was happy to play. It's a privilege to play in the NHL, and I was grateful to, if I played my last NHL game with the franchise, I, I was glad it was with the Kings. A lot of conversations, a lot of time spent with Daryl and, and with Dean, for that matter, uh, during your time in Los Angeles. How about a fun one? If you could only invite one of them to Thanksgiving dinner later this month, who would it be? Would you invite Sutter or Lombardi? Oh, boy. That is... That's a tough one. Um, I, boy, that's a, it, I, I can't even answer. It's a tough one. It's no tiebreaker. That, that's, that's, that's not fair. Well, plus they tell each other, and this one guy would just feel mad. You have to go to a shootout on that one, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, flip a coin. Rob, prior to uh, bringing you in here today, in the first period of the show, we uh, we went through a whole numerology and talked about number seven. Um, you, of course, could not wear your number four that you wore in Pittsburgh when you came to, to L.A. Um, how did you end up at number seven in L.A.? Was it just one of those things where they assigned you the number, or uh, did you actually pick that number knowing that number four wasn't available? I, I you know, it was available. I wore it in college. I, I didn't get, I wouldn't say stuck with it in college, you know, when at Boston College, Jerry York just kind of ran like, here are the numbers. Traditionally, defensemen wear these. So you get to choose from these two or three that were left. And I said, oh, seven's fine. I'm not picky. That's just a number. So I wore seven in college. I wore four in Pittsburgh. And, uh, you know, out of respect, I don't think his number, his number was not retired. But Rob Blake had been there, and he'd always been a guy that I watched as a kid and played against. And, it, you know, he was one of the great defensemen of the era that I watched a ton of hockey and just out of respect for that, I didn't really think it was right to wear the number. So 
I just chose seven again. It was available, and I chose it. I'm glad I had uh, you know, maybe a little bit of history with the Kings for it. Now, Rob, you mentioned you're back in uh, Garden City now. Uh, do you check out the Islanders at all? Do you, have you watched any of their games? Your thoughts about them moving to Belmont since you're a Long Island guy? Just your thoughts about the franchise going to Brooklyn, now coming back to Belmont and, in general. Well, I mean, it's, you know, Brooklyn, you know, Brooklyn's not the, the worst thing in the world. It's just tough to get to. And the right. train ride is not terrible, but it's not that great either. Uh, so it'll be nice that the team is more associated with with Long Island and uh, they're back at the Coliseum for right now. I know maybe the building isn't what some people would want it to be, but I, you know, I guess I'm sentimental about it because I've had a lot of good memories there, both going as a kid to games and, you know, eventually playing some of my NHL hockey games in the rink that, that I grew up kind of going to for special events or games or, you know, what have you. So, and it, you know, with the team going to Belmont now, not too far down the road here, I think it's a good thing for the franchise. Most of the guys like to live here. It's a good place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where they live around the practice rink is not a great a distance as it was to Brooklyn. So I, I think it's a better case, but I'm also making that, that observation as an outsider. You know, only the guys that are in the locker room truly know what's best for them. Hey, just to uh, wrap up here, uh, Scuds, we certainly appreciate your time. Thank you very much for joining us today here on Kings of the Podcast. Uh, two quick ones to wrap up. We, we used to love to do word association. You might remember that when you were here, and we would ask you about other players. But I was going back through some articles and found some things that other uh, players around the NHL said about you when I was asking uh, during your playing days. I heard words like crafty, strong, wily. That was from Brent Seabrook. Um, steady wall, shot blocker, things like that. But it was a comment from Kevin Westgarth that sort of struck me. And he said that Rob Scuderi is the toughest player in the league. And I'm just curious, did you ever feel like that? Did you ever feel that you were the toughest player in the league? I don't think, usually, I guess in my experience, guys are going around saying they're super tough, usually aren't. It's usually (laughs) the guys that go about their business, that are quiet about it, that are the tough guys. And I thought I was tough in regards to my game. I didn't like to miss a lot of games. If I could play, I was going to play. And I, I don't think I'm alone. I think there's lots of guys in the league like that. I, I'm not trying to separate myself. There, there are lots of them. They're usually quiet, and they usually go about their business in a very um, undertoned way. So, uh, you know, but I also thought, you know, certainly looking back at Westgard's career, you couldn't say he wasn't tough. You know, he, kinda had, he had to answer the bell. I know it's a different game. But at the time, he had to answer the bell at times. It's not the, it's not an easy job, and not a lot of, not a lot of uh, people could fathom doing it. And I, I think each role on the team can bring toughness in a different way. And I like to think I, I brought mine in certain ways too. Last one, then just uh, again sticking with some of the the, the lighter, more fun topics. Uh, you were a Boston College guy. Uh, back in the day, you used to make a lot of jokes. And if I remember correctly, there was even a bet at one point with uh, Davis Drewiski. I think you guys had to wear the other guy's Letterman sweater or something, if I remember correctly. And just now that, that college hockey continues to be, uh, continues to gain in popularity, and certainly there's a greater awareness of it here in Los Angeles now with Turcotte drafted, and they're even showing some of the Wisconsin games here. Just uh, what can you say about the, that, that sort of rivalry, uh, fun banter that you had with some of your teammates who were, who were fellow college players? You know, it's, it's a little bit of a different brotherhood compared to, say, uh, the junior players. Yeah, I, I think with college, at least at the time when I went, uh, guys went for longer. So maybe you had a little more of a draw towards 
you know, alma mater. Not to say that guys aren't loyal now. It's just a little bit different. That players simply just don't they don't stay as long. And for that, it was just something. It was a little always a little extra fun. You know, uh, watch a college game if they were playing each other in the tournament. You know, put a little something silly on it, and you know, just something that uh, you know over the course of a long season that kind of breaks it up and makes something a little different, a little fun. But we had a lot of college players, and you know, as the uh, it seems as if they just keep having more and more success. I know a lot of the guys that I'm tracking down now are are in college and have had you know tremendous amounts of success, and hopefully that'll continue. Yeah, at one point there, the Kings, every player on the blue line was a former college player with the exception of Drew Doughty. So uh, it, it definitely bucking the trend compared to the rest of the NHL. Scuds, we certainly appreciate your time. Once again, thank you so much for joining us on Kings of the Podcast and uh, best of luck with uh, the development stuff that you're doing there with Nashville. Oh, thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate the time. Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. Third period, DB, here we go. Kings of the podcast, let's get it done. Uh, right off the hop here, DB, I, we did fail to mention this the other night when we yeah. were recording at Staples Center. We were probably so excited that Carlin was joining us. We did forget to mention that um, coming off the elevator, we did, back to briefcase. Yes. Uh, we did see Jeff Solomon stepping off the elevator and he looked at us and he tucked his briefcase. He knew. In in the jacket. <laughs> I think I think he was afraid that we were going to tackle him or something. Yeah, and just... Uh, unveil the uh, the the contents of the briefcase. I think it's too early in the season, John. Yeah, everybody's got to be patient about everything, including the contents of Jeff Solomon's briefcase. It would be a spoiler to open up at game fifteen, John. We got to you know main thirty five right after the trade deadline, because you know he's going to be he's he's their capologist. He may be busy during yes. during that time, but once the the uh, we pass the trade deadline, I think at that point in time we need the unveiling of the contents of the briefcase. I think I finally have the in on this. Also, if he keeps rebuffing us and we're not going to get to the bottom of it, DB. The answer to this is TSA. The guy travels quite a bit. That's true. And it would be a real bummer if he put that briefcase through the x-ray machine and then it just never came out the other side. <laughs> bummer for him. Or we paid one of the would, agents. Hey, can I get an for x-ray us. of that? I, I need that one. That one screenshot. Let's go. I've been thinking about that lately. <laughs> Let's uh, hit the rain report real quick and then we'll talk about sure. some LA Kings prospects. And uh, the end of the third period today, we'll be talking about the Kings road trip. A little bit on the rain, though, uh, Mike Stuthers. I asked him, uh, he's the coach of the Ontario Rain, and um, I asked him about young Kapari, and we have a clip here of what Stutz had to say. I think there's a lot more that we need to see from Kapari. Mm-hmm. You, know, he, uh, you weren't here the last game. I was not. That he, uh, he didn't play much. Um, you know, we, he's playing the middle, and he was playing a lot in all situations, power play, and with some pretty talented hockey players, and he went six games in a row without a shot. Well, the middle of the year, the middle drives the team, drives the line, so not much was being created. So we uh, we had a good talk, him and I, and uh, hopefully, uh, you know what, he's just a kid. And sometimes it's, it's a little overwhelming for him. They're not... Again, as I've said to you, especially like they come in and you don't see them just 
light it up right away. Mm -hmm. It's it's a process. So you know what? He's going to have some ups and downs, and but nothing has been really really high, and nothing's been really really low. But it's like okay, like you can't go six games without a shot. You can't go six games without a shot, DB. And when you talk about Kapari as a center, and I'm not saying I know more than the coaches, I'm go not ahead. saying I know more than the development staff. I, like you have been saying that you don't like Kempe playing at center, and we keep talking about moving him to the wing. I think that Kapari ends up as a winger in the National Hockey League, especially when I look at the depth yep. of the LA Kings Agreed. going forward. You look at Turcott, you look at Jod at the 3C, you look at uh, Kopitar there. I think Kapari fits best in a top six role out on the wing. I love what I saw from him playing for uh, Team Finland when right. he was playing the wing. I brought that up before. Uh, the good news is that he did respond, he being Kapari. He did respond to that conversation. He scored a goal the next night, and if you haven't seen the picture, go look on Twitter. It's a great shot uh, that our photographer there in Ontario picked up for us uh, of Kapari's face right after he scored. So good on Kapari. Yeah, John, I don't know why you need to uh, heap all that responsibility on a player that's still adapting to North America. I agree with you. I play him on the wing, and then if you want to you know, piecemeal and just spoon feed him with respect to playing the center, maybe a couple of minutes a night, taking faceoffs in the offensive zone, just not putting that pressure on it. But again, patience, but I agree with you more. The stuff I saw, I'm like this kid's explosive skater. Mm -hmm. So why not have him come off the wing, strike free in the hearts of the other defense? So we'll see where it takes us, but I agree with you. The depth at center, you don't have to force feed him in the middle. One of the things I love about Stutz, too, is how he uh, he loves to sort of give me a body shot oh, every totally. time. So, Your attendance. You know, yes, I was not there. My attendance was, or absence, I should say, was exactly. noted. And I always, I also <laughs> laugh uh, back to another Stutz comment. I asked him about putting Kapari and Jod together in the rookie tournament in Irvine. And he said at the time, oh, yeah, I really like uh, those guys together. I'm going to keep them together for a while, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was pushing him on Kapari at wing. Next thing you know, you show up after he told us, that they, or told me that they were going to stay together. Very next game, he breaks them up. And, then I, and then I ask him about it. <laughs> after the game like hey what's going on Stutz and he basically said coach is prerogative which is <laughs> a polite way of saying don't ask me about it so I love Stutz he's awesome yeah. uh, Ontario did lose both games last weekend one of them was in overtime but uh, things did not look good for the rain who were playing really solid coming into that they're on the road this week DB they're going to play two games in Colorado back to Derek Armstrong who we talked about in the first period he was yeah. uh, coach there in Colorado uh, for a while and the Colorado Eagles are now in the American League and then they're going to play two games in Iowa the Iowa Wild <laughs> I don't really know doesn't anything. Make, yeah, yeah doesn't fit. It's not a fit, John. It's not. But look, Grunstrom's now up with a big club, so I'm sure that impacted their play this week as well. So, But uh, yeah, the Iowa Wild, I don't know. But, Renamed the team. Yeah, it's, it's I don't know. It's Cornhuskers or whatever. <laughs> that would be Nebraska. Same thing. But, okay. It's uh, corn in Iowa. Gabe, Gabe Velarde, keep, uh, I keep getting Yes, John, uh, what do you got? Yes. Let's go. Gabe Velarde did not get on the plane. He was not scheduled to get on the plane. As we reported uh, a couple days ago, Velarde is staying behind while the team is out of town. This is really the only big road trip that the rain take all year. For the most part, they're on the West Coast. Um, this is like a plane trip, and uh, they don't need him. Uh, Velarde, so he's uh, going to stick behind. He's going to work with the law firm of Johnson & Stoll <laughs> down there at uh, El Segundo. And guy with a bad back, why you want to put him on a plane and have him travel, right, this point in time? Well, not that he has a bad back, but I'm saying why. It, and you, like you said, it wasn't in the mix, so was it? it was you don't never have to planned. speed things up. No, patience? No you mean patience? Is that what you're saying? I'm trying to say patience, Okay, John. patience. All right. Last note on the rain is actually uh, down on the farm even further in the uh, ECHL Fort Wayne. Mason Berg is a player, a college player who they signed as a free agent last year. There just wasn't room in Ontario to start the year. They sent him down to Fort Wayne, and um, he was named the Rookie of the Month. Having a great year. I keep telling people on Twitter, remember the name Mason Berg. He, 
not that he's going to be with the LA Kings, but right. he'll be back in the AHL up with Ontario uh, pretty soon as we continue to see players make their way to Los Angeles. What so, else you got with respect to prospects, Joe? Let's go. A couple prospect uh, other notes. Uh, and the weekly tracker, um, we did talk to some European scouts over the weekend. Uh, talked about Jacob Mavari and Shafi Gulen. Uh, Kim the Finn. Everyone's just, Kim the Finn. You like that one? <laughs> I love it. It's great. Uh, so, well, nobody can pronounce his last name. Right, so exactly. Kim the Finn makes a ton That's more good. sense. Shafi Gulen is tough enough to say, but you know. Good at that one, man. Once you, you like get, those Russian names. I, well, you get the Russian names. Once you get it, then you get it, you know? But then some of them just take forever. Anyway, uh, patience, <laughs> ironically, is the word on Kim the Finn. He's not been putting up the points, but. Uh, People are interested to see what he's going to do after coming back from the World Juniors. Uh, Shafi Gulen had an amazing hat trick. DB, if you didn't see the video that I tweeted, you have to watch the video. Dude is just like camping out behind the net for what right. seems like forever. Yeah. And then nobody's covering him. And finally, he's like, okay, well, then I'm just going to do a wraparound. And boom, he scores a wraparound goal. It's really funny. The video is out there on Twitter. I tweeted it. Uh, Jacob Bavari, as I mentioned, I think on the last podcast, the Kings are going to be bringing him over. He's Great. playing phenomenal. Uh, and then you have the Canada-Russia series. And so for people that don't know, it's kind of promoted as Russia versus each of the junior leagues. So like the OHL so versus CHL. Right. right. But really it's not the OHL versus Russia because it's only Canadian players from the OHL. Got so it. Kaliev, okay. who would be the star of the OHL right now, he's right. American. So he's not part of this series. It's kind of confusing to people. Understood. But yeah. the Kings do have four prospects in this Canada-Russia series. They have Jordan Spence, who's in the queue. He, uh, he played the other night, had an assist. They have one more game coming up. Then there's two games against the Ontario League. Um, and you're going to have Aiden Dudas, who is going to be the captain. He's also the captain of Owen Sound. He's going to captain that team. Uh, you have Akil Thomas, and then you have Jacob Ingham as well. So You mean defenseman Akil Thomas? Def yeah, well, defense, <laughs> yeah. Talk about that, man. I talked to uh, Akil and just caught up with him after this game, and Akil Thomas played 29 minutes on defense 29 minutes in one game. It, yeah, he he basically look. He was a, he told me previously he yeah. was a defenseman um, in his younger days, but obviously he's a forward drafted as a forward. He'll be a forward as a professional starting next season. But the team only had four healthy defensemen, right. which is a real bummer because they had just traded a couple of defensemen away, <laughs> and then the injuries hit. Right. Bad bad timing. Sure. But he basically went to the coach and said, "Hey, um, I I can fill in," and they put him on the top pair. DB and the dude plays 29 minutes. Absolute stud, Akil Thomas. A uh, couple of other uh, real quick notes on the uh, prospects, and then we're going to talk about the Kings. Uh, boy, it was not a good uh, weekend for Wisconsin. They no. had been climbing up the rankings, made it all the way up to about six or seven, and then they ran into Penn State, and Penn State won both games. They ended up flipping now in the rankings. Penn State is now inside the top 10. Wisconsin dropped. They're going to have a rematch. DB, while you and I will be on a plane heading to Colorado for the outdoor game, that's uh, right around Valentine's Day. Yeah, right, exactly. That'll be the rematch between those two rivals, Penn State and Wisconsin. There is a little bit more Kings on Kings crime coming up, You love up, that though. term. I, I do, I do. <laughs> I think it's great. How about this one? The Canine Cup. That's when Niagara <laughs> plays Hamilton, the Bulldogs. Dogs. Yeah, the dogs. They call it the Canine oh, Cup. Oh, seriously. That's it's the a real deal. <laughs> and I think that's great marketing. That's I love great. it. That's so fantastic. the K9 Cup. So they played a couple weeks ago, and then they have another game coming up. I think it's at the end of this week, Hamilton against Niagara. Kaliev is absolutely ridiculous. You know, I always like to say on Twitter, this is not Xbox. It is Xbox. Kaliev <laughs> is a video game. The dude is Xbox. Like yeah. 19 goals in 18 games. He's just unbelievable I've leading never the OHL seen, scoring. I can't remember a player with, and not saying that he's going to replicate in the NHL, with this much skill at that level in this organization. Not in the LA Kings organization. No. I mean, like you can go back and Braden, uh, Braden, I'm sorry, Brandon Cozen, longtime Mayor's yeah. Manor favorite. Cozen put up a ton of points. Yeah. Uh, Toffoli put up a ton of points. True. 120 points in the O. 
Um, but I mean, you're but talking, not this way, John. You're talking about a goal a game, DB. Yeah, Kaliev is a video game. It's, yeah. it's pretty unbelievable. It's great. All right, let's move on to the Kings road trip here, DB. Um, they're going to Toronto. They're going to uh, Montreal, uh, and uh, it's, uh, and they're going to Ottawa. Yeah. Let's start in Toronto. Um, Jake Muzzin. When I say Jake Muzzin, what do you think of? What, what's like the key Jake Muzzin memory for you? He's never tweeted. That is true. <laughs> That's what I remember. Uh, and the trade. The trade that happened leaving Los Angeles. I mean, for all the great time he put in two championships, the trade that had to happen. And now look at the look at the results from an LA standpoint. It's a great trade for both sides. They they desperately need him in in Toronto. And John, I don't think the way this teams play hockey, uh, they might get 100 points. They might get 105 points. And they're missing John Tavares on the power play big time. He's coming back tonight. I don't see how they're a Stanley Cup contender. They just don't play enough defense, and they don't have the commitment to defense. And frankly, they don't have the tools to do that. They have, everybody is an offensive player on that team, and they, they're just a commitment there. So you might see a 5-4-6-5 game tonight. But with the, back to Jake, it's just, you know, I think about all the great times, but I think about the, you know, it was an emotional time for him mm-hmm. to come to, to leave Los Angeles because he grew up here. The one organization that had faith in him. He became a, a two-time champion here. But like I said, it, it's a trade that had to happen. Yeah, phenomenal trade as well. You know, uh, Toronto was able to get the defenseman that they wanted, that they, and needed, they needed. Yes, and they need him now more than ever. And then you know, you look at what LA was able to pick up with a, a first round draft pick, along with uh, Carl Grundstrom and Sean Dersey, who's now just back from from injury as well. Um, I will tell you back to your point about the tweeting. You just triggered a memory that I had. I almost was able to get Muzzin to tweet one night. <laughs> we were after a game, and I remember it. We were in Phoenix. Uh, playing the, the Kings were playing the Coyotes. And uh, Jake and I were talking after the game, and it was it was it was early on, I think, with him getting Twitter, and I just recently right. found out about it. But I was pushing him to se- sort of send his first tweet. He might have had a goal that night, or maybe a game winning goal. I'd have to go back and look and, and really remember. But I do remember just being downstairs in the building there in Arizona, and almost getting him to send out his very first tweet. That's one level above Matt Green. <laughs> who doesn't have a Twitter account, who will never have a Twitter account. He has no social media. And <laughs> I, I still think that Matt Green probably has a flip phone. He doesn't have, there's, he doesn't need a smartphone. He, just, you yeah, know. No. For why would he need a smartphone? Everything's he, in his head. He he's not into emojis. No. Exactly. Oh, can you imagine? Can you imagine getting a, we talked about texts from uh, Sutter. Can you imagine getting a, a text from Matt Green that had an emoji attached to it? I wouldn't even know what to do. Um, I, Funniest story about Matt Green, just to, to, to go off topic for a second yeah. here. There are two people that have ever told me this. When they gave me their number uh, and they told me, if you ever give this number out, I will kill you. <laughs> there are two people that have told me this in my life. One of them is one of your favorites, Nick Bockwinkle. <laughs> Nick Bach, if you remember many, many, yes. many, many years ago, I interviewed Nick Bockwinkle just to mess That's with you. That's when we started getting to know each yes. other. Yeah. And I did it just to mess with you. Yeah. I mean, I'm happy to talk to any Hall of Fame yeah, pro of wrestler, but Absolutely. I did it sort of as a rib on you, yeah. like, hey, watch this. And so I reached out at, through some contacts. I got a hold of Nick Bockwinkle and, and, and did the interview. And I remember him telling me, um, he actually told me on my voicemail, and I still, I should send it to you, I still have the voicemail. <laughs> Because I had reached out through a friend type thing, right. and he called me, and he leaves me this voicemail. Says, "Hey, John, it's Nick Bockwinkle. You know, I heard you want to get a hold of me. I'll be happy to talk to you. Here's my number. If you give it out to anybody, believe me, I will kill you." Like, <laughs> and it's the greatest voicemail. I still of have course. it. Right. And the only other person to ever tell me that they would kill me it's was Matt, Matt Green. Green. Okay. But Matt Green's is actually a better story. So Greener gave me his phone number one time. I don't remember what for. We were going to connect on something, and he said to me, "You now have my phone number. If you ever use it." 
I will kill you. <laughs> yes. So it's don't a, call no, me. No, it's, it's a typical Matt Green. Right? Exactly. Like he's, and I, I did use it. He did text me back once or twice. <laughs> and fortunately, I'm still alive to tell it. But I am scared to death to text him, though. Uh, I would be. Yes. There are two people that I think meant it when they said it. Nick Bockwinkle would kill me. He's a very strong, he was, uh, rest his soul. Yeah. And Matt Green is a very scary person. Get too. your information around Matt Green. Right? Do, a, go, do an end run, John. No, yeah. Don't go directly to that source. <laughs> no. I, I fear for your life. Uh, you so do. do I. I love Matt Green. And the day that we, you know, if we ever are able to get Greener to come on the oh. podcast, that just needs to be the last show because we're going out on top. There's no better There's guest. no topper than that. No, no, you can't get nope, a better no, guest than Matt Green if he opens up and tells you the stories. Exactly. He won't share pictures, though, because no, he, he doesn't need pictures. He, <laughs> he was, have, he was there. His head. It was there. <laughs> oh, he's, he's a beauty. Um, so Toronto, look, uh, you know, we talked about Jake Muzzin. For me also, when you think about the Toronto Maple Leafs, and I tweeted this earlier this morning, you have to think about the 1993 sure. run. And you don't want to live in the past. You do want to live in the present. But you absolutely cannot think LA Kings, Toronto Maple Leafs without thinking about that series in 1993. It's part of the history of the league. It's it's not just a playoff series. It's Wayne getting a hat trick in Game Seven, the high stick, the whole thing. Um, it's part it, when you go watch NHL Network and they have the greatest playoff series. That's one of them. To me, that is the greatest playoff series. I mean, those seven games were absolutely unbelievable, and and the bruises and the body bags, and you yeah. look at McSorley being just bruised up, and all the fights that happened. I mean, that is the purest seven game series in hockey that you probably can find. I just, it was a phenomenal series and uh, boy, to see the smile on Dave Taylor's face at the end of that, when Luke gave him the kiss and everything yep, in the yep. locker room, it's just, it's unbelievable. Moving on through the road trip, you have uh, the Ottawa Senators coming up on Thursday. And I just want to touch on this DB. Um, it's crazy to think about how different Bobby Ryan's career ended up because yeah. I still will, will swear on this forever. There was a point in time for several years where Bobby Ryan was destined to be a member of the LA Kings. Dean Lombardi was hot to get yep. him. And, and people forget this. Kopitar recruited him to come over and play in Europe during the 2012 mm -hmm. lockout. And they were buddies. And there's a, there are a bunch of articles with both Bobby Ryan. I did interviews yep. overseas and also with Kopitar at the time. Bobby Ryan was destined to be a member of the LA Kings. And do you know why it all came to a crashing end? Tell me, John. Marion Gabrick. There you go. It, right, right. They, they okay. acquired Gabrick, yep. and that was all around the time of the contract when there would have been, if you sort of looked out in the future, that window yep. for Bobby Ryan. And once they re-signed Gabrick, there was wasn't it. a need yeah. or room for Agreed. Bobby Ryan. And really, it's weird when now you just sort of see where Bobby Ryan is. In his, it happens to everybody in their career. Agreed. And it's unfortunate. This is not the Bobby Ryan that I want to remember. No, although he played last night in New York, um, showcasing. But that, that kind, of, somebody had mentioned maybe uh, – Carter for Ryan. I'm like, Bobby Ryan, I mean, and you mentioned 50 cents on the dollar with Carter's contract. Bobby Ryan, that's a full boat ride. That's yes. like $21 million and you're never going to get that return. So I think Bobby's just going to play out his days in Ottawa and then, uh, I mean, if he wants to continue playing, he can. If not, I think he's got a, a nice home up in Idaho, in, in Idaho. Um, so we'll, he'll have to make it, he'll have to make a decision in two, three years out from now, but I don't see him leaving Ottawa. I don't see the circumstance unless it's a huge trade and need his money to make something happen. But I just can't see a team taking it on. Who are the Ottawa Senators right now to you? Uh, Brady Kachuk. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's fantastic. He, they were really good last night in New York. They won 6-2. I just love his game. He plays hard every night, even though the team isn't very good. Brunstrom is going to be a good player on defense, but I really love the Brady Kachuk's game. And then they're probably going to make some trades here. They got a lot of unrestricted free agents. A guy like uh, Jean-Gabriel Pajot um, is an unrestricted free agent. He might go. But to me, it's, it's Brady Kachuk. I think that's a great draft pick for him. And they are eventually going to be good. He's going to be their leader um, in Ottawa. 
Is there any transference of the Matthew Kachuk, Drew Doughty situation? I, I imagine this is going to have to come family up with the Kings. Remember that yeah, show, it, Family it, Ties? It's, it's going to have to come up with the media when they land in Oh, Ottawa. yeah, of course. Yeah. They have to make a deal out of it because... Of, of, they have nothing else to they, make They're going to connect the dots. Mm-hmm. And that's what you do. But uh, I don't... It's a different... Or are they going to connect the dots? Because they're, if they're trying to connect the dots back to quotes that Drew said a month ago, maybe they're, maybe they're coloring they're out of the lines. <laughs> <laughs> they will. I don't think there's any... any but... but and. You know, Brady's not that type of player. Matt Matt is a, you know, he's an instigator. He's a, he's a shit disturber, right? So he doesn't, um, that's not Brady's game. He doesn't have the same type of game that, that Matthew does. And I think there's not that history between the teams because they're in the Eastern Conference and Kings are in the West. Mm-hmm. How interesting would it be, though, if something did develop in this oh, game? And then now, it, I mean, I just think it would explode. It would just be this well, Drew versus the whole Kachuk family here's my, type thing. Here's my question to you. So if it's, it's Brady and Matthew... Who would you pick as uh, Drew's tag team partner? Well, Trevor Lewis normally because they're the okay. Heart Foundation. But oh, uh, that's right. <laughs> Going back to Halloween so many years yeah, ago. Yeah, uh, yeah, quite a while ago, quite Maybe. some time ago. Drew's put on a couple LBs since then, um, <laughs> and they both now are married. So it's a different world. That's back when they were roommates. They had Reggie the dog. I mean, yeah. so much good content back then. Exactly. DB. exactly. Man, Mayor's Manor was awesome back then. Um, who would I pick? Well, how about Curtis McDermott? That probably oh, yeah. would, be, <laughs> would scare everybody out I of the room. You know, yeah, that would they be. They would go, <laughs> the Kachucks would be back in the dressing room. That would be. They'd leave the ring, jump if, out. If Drew's smart, that's going to be his That's going to be his tag team partner. <laughs> exactly. uh, unless he can get Rob Scuderi to come out of retirement. <laughs> All right, they're going to wrap this road trip up in one of your favorite cities. Yes. Favorite talking points, the wow. Montreal Canadiens, who every week they're, they're looking at another Russian player. I still can't figure <laughs> out why the Habs are always in on the Russians. Because they had success with Kovalev. They had success with the Radulov. Why not? And it's a great city that embraces Russian players. Uh, if you come in and produce and entertain, they love that uh, They love that style of player. So that's but we never, we never seem to see them linked to other players. That's the issue. It's not the, it's not the fact that they're linked to Russians. That's great. The Russians can, can play there. I'm saying it just seems like Montreal over the last couple of years, Montreal, whatever you want to call them, that they're always linked to... The big Russian sort of free yeah. agent or the big Russian trade. Don't they like other yeah. other players too? Mm. How about a big German player oh, or, or well, they've someone got a from Finnish player? Brazil. Kakanemi is is doing well for them. So, okay, so that's it. But uh, and they have your boy Cole Caulfield, right? Not He's, yet. They don't have him. Well, soon he'll be <laughs> he'll be there soon. sooner than we probably soon. all think. <laughs> Stay tuned this summer. <laughs> yeah, in two years in Wisconsin. Probably <laughs> March. Might not even be March. summer. He, he could be making his NHL debut here at yeah. uh, the end of March, early yeah. April. And, but, and you know, Montreal is a um, I call them a seven, eight, nine, ten team. They're going to be in the mix for a wild card. Um, they're playing okay. Price has been good. They just don't. They still don't have a partner for uh, Shea Weber. So when you want to talk about Alec Martinez, maybe up there at some point in time. Maybe that's a possibility. Who knows? If I remember correctly, Alec yeah. Martinez made his NHL debut against Montreal. Yeah. Or it might have been when they called him back up after he had a quick cup of coffee. But I, I think he made his debut. We should go look that up. Yeah. Uh, this is a team that. The first line's been really good. Um, Joel Amir has been really, really good for them. I think he's got seven or eight goals at, at this point in time. But again, with this team, the depth of scoring. You know, that Ryan Paling just came back up from the minors and said he had some challenges going back down to Laval and playing down there. Uh, but he's been a really good uh, draft pick for them. He was a college player, uh, went pro. Uh, this, team USA at the yeah, World Juniors also. Yeah, exactly. So th- this that smells like a 3-2 game. It's it's not going to be explosive offense from either side with respect to L.A. or Montreal, but uh, um, they'll be in it. And again, you know, Adrian Kempe seems to find his way with respect to Montreal, so maybe he can find his way against the Habs on Saturday night. But I'll tell you, John, I've been around the league. You've been in many, many buildings, maybe all of them. Saturday night, Montreal, if you're a fan, um, 
regardless of the team that you root for, get to a Saturday night in Montreal. It's just it's an it's still an event there. It's mm-hmm. destination hockey. It's just a great atmosphere. The, the teams. I mean, you know, it's still so it's bilingual, so half the announcements are in French. But it's a great atmosphere. I, I love Bell Center. It's fantastic, and it's just a, a different type of vibe. You know, when you go to Canada, John, it's different anyway, right? It is. But, but in Montreal, it's so different. Um, and maybe because I have an allegiance there, I'm on the air once a week. I know the guys up there on the air at TSN 690. But it's just such a fun time on a Saturday night in Montreal. It is crazy to think about the LA Kings and how much run they've been getting through Hockey Night in Canada here in the early yeah, early part of the season, considering that they're not one of the elite, you know, <laughs> no. sort of premier teams. Um, real quickly, before we wrap up on the road trip, uh, sort of tangentially related to what you're saying, though, about buildings, I want to share with you a, a message that I received from a good friend of mine earlier this week who goes to see hockey in different cities and had not been to a game in Vegas yet. A, a, a great hockey fan, someone who's been around the game for a long time, somebody whose opinion I respect, and he texted uh, me and basically said, wow, you were right. This place is unbelievable. And and he was basically, we had a little brief conversation yeah. saying Vegas gets a bad rap for the pregame and some of that other sort of stuff from hockey purists, but there are very few buildings that are as fun to go to as seeing a game in Vegas. It isn't, it, even now, it is just, it's it's an experience. It's not it, Montreal, but it is an experience. It's different. And, you ha- and I, what I told him before he went was, I said, dude, you have to go to experience it to get it. It's too easy to dismiss it as an expansion team and all this other sort of stuff. But when you go, then you go, oh, wow, I totally get it. And he was texting me basically saying like, oh yeah, I totally get it now. This place is awesome. They sell out practices. <laughs> they sell out preseason games. They yeah. sell out regular season games. The, the, the tickets are one of the most expensive ones in the league. Our buddy Brian Slagle has centerized tickets, and they are not cheap. They're more. The tickets in Vegas are more expensive than the ones at Madison Square Garden. That's crazy right? to think. And it's just it, look, and they came along at the right time with the tragedy October one. It, it, it the city embraced them, and there's something to cling on to during that very very tough time. And the, the way they treated, I, I was their opening night, and I had tears in my eyes when they when they you know when he paid tribute to the people that fell that day. Um, but they've just embraced it. And it's a major league city with, and now they're going to be having, you know, the Raiders are going to be there next year. Um, this is a big, vibrant city, John, with like 2 million people in it, with people that maybe they converted as fans. And, and I think the original thought was, okay, half the building's going to be rooting for the Red Wings or the Kings or whatever. Well, it's, Especially uh, on weekends where people right. come to Vegas well, for the weekend. Well, that's not the case. This is, this you is can't t- get tickets, DB. <laughs> no, you can't, man. You can't get in the building. It's, it's great. And these are people that... Obviously, most of the people that live there have relocated, and they understand that most of them are either from the north or the east, so they had an understanding for the game. But when they came in with the uniforms and with the team that was exciting, and look, they who would have ever thought they got off to that start? But this team has embraced it. This is not a phony thing. This is not just a, a one or two thing, uh, two season phenomenon. Like they have a great owner who's visible in the marketplace. They've done everything right in that city. They deserve all the success. It is very different than Montreal, John. It, it's but if you got to buy into that shtick, you got to buy into the castle and having Wayne. But everything Newton can Bell. be different, DB. I think yes, Nashville is a different experience, Agreed. but it's another great city to yes. see. In New York, going to a Ranger game is different, but these are experiences that hockey fans need to have. Yeah, right. It's John. It's like they can't summon the ghosts of. The Toronto Maple Leafs franchise. It's totally different. I get it. I understand it. But I agree with you, John. It could be great in a different way. Mm-hmm. Like, Absolutely. Accept it. Embrace it. It's great. Different experiences for different fan bases. And this is a relatively new fan base as well. So they don't care about the history of the game. They want to be entertained. Because right. look at all the entertainment. Op- to, to go into that city, John, and say this is a great event and being entertained with all the entertainment options in, in Las Vegas, that's a huge win for that franchise. They did it right. And I compliment them. And I agree with you. Even regardless of, of your fandom, go and experience it and just be 
open and accepting to it. It's fun. It's mm-hmm. a great atmosphere. You'll laugh. You'll chuckle. There's good hockey. It's entertaining hockey. It's umtempo hockey. Good food options, too. Absolutely, man. You get, the, you get man. the Shake Shack when you're there. And exactly. You know, and you stuff. can stay at a great five-star hotel and walk into the arena. It just there's so many different great things about Las Vegas that, you know, I agree with you. It's not much. It's the other end of the spectrum, but it's a great spectrum, John. That's my point. Yeah, and there are many cities where you just go and it's it's just a hockey game, you know, and that's okay, too. You know, there's, there's not that yeah, there's something the wrong. The options in that's Calgary okay. and Edmonton are not what they are in Las Vegas. Or, and that's my point. Or is major that, city. Is that when you when you look for an event, when you look for something that's more than the game that eclipses what's going on in those two and a half three hours, you have to point to places like Nashville or Montreal or you know New York City or in this case Vegas. I mean, it is a phenomenal phenomenal experience. DB, we're going to wrap this up. You have to go uh, finish packing, go find your passport. <laughs> but here's the thing I want to leave you with today. Yeah. You love to send me pictures from your trips wherever you yeah. go, like you know, goofy pictures of you in Hawaii with like a pina colada thing with all, the pineapple. With the pineapple, I with love your pictures. Three Actually, you know what? The pineapple didn't have an umbrella in it. They didn't have an umbrella <laughs> at, at the drink stand. Okay. But, but usually we we try to get an umbrella. So I love your travel pictures. Most yep. people probably do not look forward to their friends' travel pictures. I love when you send me all these goofy pictures. This is the picture. I'm giving you a quest. This is the picture okay. I want. You're on your way to Sweden. Correct. In just a few couple of hours from, from right now. Yeah, we take off at the 630 LA time. Headed to the airport. Yeah. I need you to go take a picture in front of your boy, Adrian Kempe's childhood home. While you're there in Sweden, that's the picture that I want of you in but Sweden. But he—he's not. He lives like hun- a couple hundred miles from. I don't from know. Stockholm. That's your problem, not mine. Go figure it out. You know, it's funny you say that. <laughs> Wait, I have a great story. Okay. So when I was in Stockholm two years ago, yeah, I said I wasn't from LA, and I mentioned Kempe, and the guy goes, "Oh no, he's Finnish. He's not Swedish. He lives far away. He lives on the <laughs> Finland border." Thomas Sandstrom style. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I remember saying it. You just jogged my memory. It was it was great. I'm like Kempe. They go well, no. no. You yeah. said no. No, because okay. he's too far away from okay. from Stockholm. So I'm not getting that picture. Uh, okay. I don't think you're going to get it. I got to look up where's uh, <laughs> where his uh, go figure it out. His birthplace. Get a, is from. Get a Swedish Uber. <laughs> It'll be faster. $9,000. It'll be faster than getting one at LAX. We'll be good to go. Okay. <laughs> the flight from Stockholm to, to, uh, to London will probably be shorter than the, the Uber to his uh, to Charlton home. DB, have a safe trip. Look forward to seeing you when you get back. We'll have plenty to talk about. And uh, to everybody listening to Kings of the Podcast, enjoy your week, and we'll see you again soon. I just can't wait to get on the road again. The life I love is making music with my friends. And I can't wait to get on the road again On the road again Going places that I've never been Seeing things that I may never see again And I can't wait to get on the road again Here we go On On the the road again Like a band of gypsies we go down the highway We're the best of friends Insisting that the world keep turning our way And our way is on the road again I just can't wait to get on the road again The life I love is making music with my friends And I can't wait to get on the road again Big finish And I can't wait to get on the road again London Stock Exchange Group is here to be your essential global markets infrastructure and data partner, where open isn't just a platform, but a philosophy, giving you the freedom to make your mark in the world. LSEG. Open makes more possible.